Well, I, am, I truly am happy to be here with all of you this evening. Uh, to be candid, this morning when I, when I first came into Temple, uh, I was feeling kind of down. I was feeling uh, tired and kind of defeated. But the more I interacted with you guys, the more, I, more people I had a chance to meet and talk with, I, my spirits were lifted. Because I think that one of the biggest blessings that our Heavenly Father gives us is our family here, our local church body family. And I am just so thrilled to be able to be with you here even again today. And I've loved getting to know those of you who I had the chance to get to know. And I feel like um, I, can, I can share a bit of myself when we're talking one-on-one, um, but I also get to share a little bit about myself when I get to uh, come and, and bring the word to you here on Sunday nights. Hopefully not too much of myself, more of him, uh, but a little bit comes out as I, as I have the opportunity to bring God's word to you. And one of the ways uh, that I get to do that is kind of through my illustrations and whatnot. Well, some of you may or may not know that this job here at Temple is is a part-time situation for me, and I actually spend 30 hours a week at what I call my day job. And uh, it's been really amazing to have the opportunity to be here, um, but it's also been really interesting. I've been at my other job for about six years now, and I work in material, material handling, so shipping, receiving, inventory control, purchasing, and really anything else that they want me to do work for a very small company, about 12 people, and we do engineering and manufacturing for, a, uh, for computer control systems for locomotives or for trains. And so basically, we, we manufacture the brains of a locomotive. And now, I am not in the engineering department for good reason. Um, these guys, they work and they develop circuit boards and software and products that I couldn't even begin to understand. But having my hand at kind of every step along the process from the time that the parts come in for, through assembly and then as they go out has caused me to, to learn a lot about how locomotives work and how our system works on that locomotive to essentially drive the trains. And it's been really fascinating to learn what what makes these locomotives roll down the tracks and learn about this system that we design and and, and how it does indeed drive these locomotives. The system that tells the power to turn on and off, how fast to go, when to brake, when it's time uh, to slow down for a turn and what needs to happen and when things go wrong even. And when we consider our own lives, how we operate, there are definitely things and forces and systems that work inside of us, driving forces that, that show us which way we are, are, are going to be going. See, the reality is that um, whatever you believe, regardless of what you believe, we all have a worldview that we see and we access our world through and what we, the way that we make decisions. We all have something that drives us, that tells us how and why to keep moving down the tracks, what junctions to turn at. And I want, it, I want you to consider tonight, I want you to ask yourself the question, what drives you? What drives you? What is it that keeps you rolling? I want you to honestly ask this question to yourself. Think about it as you're sitting there. What is your motivation? What is it that drives you and keeps you going? 
Well, the Word of God actually says a lot about what ought to be driving God's people, what ought to be our driving force. And this evening, we're going to, to pick up where we left off three weeks ago, when we were here last for what we might call a normal Sunday evening service. And, and tonight, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. And, and you're welcome to turn there with me. And as you're doing that, I want to give a little bit of a, a background. And if you'll recall, if you were here, or maybe you didn't have a chance to be here with us three weeks ago, the book of Deuteronomy is, is actually a, a transcription or a written down version of an address that Moses gave to the people of Israel. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, as they were coming into the promised land. And what Moses is doing, he's trying to remind and refresh the, uh, the uh, community standards and the laws and the covenant that God had made with them 40 years previously. And what you need to understand is that this, whole, this is a whole new generation that's coming into the land. At this point, there was only a couple people who were actually there when the original laws were given, and it's a whole new generation that's getting ready to come into, the, into this promised land. And these are the people, the second generation of people called by God who had, who had come into relationship with him. And so Moses is renewing this covenant, and he's laying again the foundation that, on which that they can stand and to move forward as a, as a people that's set apart to serve God. And so last time we looked at, at verses 4 and 5. So three weeks ago we, we opened up uh, Deuteronomy 6 and we looked at just verses 4 and 5. And we saw the foundation that Moses was setting up for them. He was answering these foundational questions of who is God? And then how ought I to respond in light of the answer of that question? Who is God and how ought we to respond? And what we saw through these two verses, through verses 4 and 5, was that, that Yahweh, the personal name of the God who had called them out of Egypt and rescued them time and time again, Yahweh is God and he is the only God. And we, see, we saw from, from verse 5 that the response that God calls his people to is actually really interesting. He doesn't call them to just worship blindly, but he calls them to love him. To love him and to love him with all that we are. And what we're going to see through the passage tonight is that this love for God, this love for God that we're called to, is our driving force. And it really ought to drive us to love the law of God. Or to put it a bit more succinctly, our love for God drives us to love his law. Our love for God drives us to love his law. Now when I say that word, law, I'm sure there's some of you here who are kind of bristling at that idea. The idea of me standing before you and saying we got to love the law of God because maybe you've been told or believed for a long time this idea of, well, that's the Old Testament. The Old Covenant is law and we're under the New Covenant and the New Testament, which is grace. And we don't have to deal with the law anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. <clears throat> Sorry. My throat started to turn on me this morning and <laughs> it's just getting worse. I'm going to pray here for a second. Lord God, uh, you are good, and we love you, 
And we continue to pray that you would, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help my, my throat to hold out, um, that as, as it's feeling scratchy, uh, I, I pray, God, that you would help, um, you help that to feel better for now and hold it off until uh, it won't be a hindrance and, until I'm done. Jesus' name, amen. But what I want you to see tonight is that, like we've sang in the first couple songs here even, the Word of God that was given 3,000 years ago or so to God's people is actually still very applicable to us today. And He still has something to say to us. And well, we may not be in the nation, the gov- under the government of the nation of Israel, and we are indeed in, under the new covenant of grace... And, and much of the old covenant was fulfilled through Christ on the cross. The law of God is timeless, and it will remain eternally. But maybe it would be helpful for me to define the law for you this evening, and what I mean when I say the law of God. And what I mean is the knowledge and the guardrails that keep God's people living rightly before a holy God. So the law of God that we're talking about here tonight is the knowledge and the guardrails that keep God's people living rightly before a holy God. And it's this principle that has been present since man was made and will remain eternally. As long as God's people are dwelling with with him, we will have God's law. Now with that background in mind, we're going to come to God's word. And we're going to hear it this evening. And so I, I'd invite you, if, if you're able, to stand with us for the public reading of God's Word. Here as I read Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 6 through verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts and on the of your house and on your gates. You may have a seat. And so if we were to sum up this passage... um, if I were to sum it up, it would be that, that our love for God drives us to love His law. And as a result of that love for His law, we naturally want to teach it, we want to teach His law, and we want to keep His law. And I'm going to unpack these as we work our way through the passage. And so, um, if you look, if you will, to verse 6, and I'll read it again here. And these words that I command you today shall be on where? your heart. If you're anything uh, like me, uh, maybe you are not, I I don't really know, then you've been maybe watching the advancement of the technology behind autonomous cars with some interest. If not, if you haven't been watching the rise of this, then you might want to, it might be interested to know that there there are indeed vehicles driving on our roads now that are autonomous or self-driving or don't really need human interaction to navigate our roadways. And this is fascinating to me on a lot of levels. I mean, the technology is mind-blowing and it's really an incredible look as we're coming further into the future, but it's also specifically interesting for me on an ethical level. Because if you, if you drive anywhere, 
then you may have an understanding of, of these, all of these decisions that this vehicle has to make on a regular basis. Now, most of these decisions are normal and can be programmed into, an, into a computer. Co- I mean, not for me, but for the people who, who do this really simply. And in fact, if you think about it, it's probably even better that a computer is doing all these things. Right? They have quicker reaction times and things like that. But what happens when the computer is now needing to choose between two undesirable options? Like, what happens if it has to choose between hitting a bicycle and hitting another car? Well, we hope that, you know, we would have the information programmed in to choose the path of least resistance and go for the the car rather than harming the bicycle. But what about when it has to choose between something like five pedestrians and one pedestrian? Right? This is the age-old ethical question of, of should we sacrifice the few for the many? Goodness, even humans have a hard time making these decisions. If I'm, if I'm candid here, it, it scares me a little bit to think that other people are programming morality into these vehicles that could affect us on a very real level and a very physical level. Because I start to wonder... Well, what's their morality? What is their basis of morality? And so these people who are in Silicon Valley working for Toyota or, or, or Tesla, and they're designing these autonomous cars, what is their basis for morality? Because the reality is, is that, we have, that we all have a worldview that dictates how we view right from wrong. We all have a way of processing the world around us. Now, you need to remember, we, we, we touched on this a few weeks ago, that this word in our passage here in verse 6, heart, it's much more inclusive than what we might think of in our modern thinking. The word refers to every internal aspect of a person. But more importantly here, it refers to the thoughts, intentions, desires of our hearts. In essence, it refers to our worldview. And what Moses is telling the nation of Israel and then all future generations is that our love for God needs to drive our worldview and, our, our, the, and focus our worldview around the law of God, which, as I mentioned before, is the knowledge and guardrails that, that keep us, that kept the nation of Israel, living rightly before a holy God. So our worldview, this is, this is telling us that the Word of God is telling us that our love for God ought to direct our worldview towards the law of God. And so our love for God drives us to love His law. I want you to, I want you to hear me. What Moses is driving home here is that this was supposed to be more than just a Sabbath day lifestyle for them. So hear me for you and I, this is more than just a Sunday thing for us, or it should be. And so if you're here tonight, and the way that you act on Monday morning when you're at work or school, or with your, when you're with your non-Christian friends, if that's night and day from how you act today on Sunday here at church, then, then there's a big problem. See, what the Word of God is showing us here is that our love for God drives us to love His law all the time and in every situation. It shall be on your heart. It shall drive the way that you view, long for, act, desire in this world. 
It should drive everything. But of course, this seems impossible, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like we, should, we would be able to, to ever get to this point. Seems way too much for us to accomplish. Of course it is. It is too much for us to accomplish. But I'm reminded of what Jesus, as his disciples, lamented the difficulty of giving all of ourselves to God in Matthew 19, 23 through 26. It says this, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Brothers and sisters, this is the key. In and of ourselves, this level of commitment is impossible. But as Jesus told his disciples on that day, with God, it is possible. Indeed, it is only possible through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But praise God that he does that work in the hearts of his people. And if you're here tonight and you have chosen to follow Jesus, then through the work of the Holy Spirit, you have, you have been made new. Your heart has been imprinted with the living word and his law is on your heart. And so if this is you tonight, I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you to lean into this reality. If you're really struggling here tonight, lean into the reality that you have been renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've made this deci that decision and, and you're realizing right now, wow, I'm not doing very good at that. Wow, the world has really affected the way that, that I interact. And it still has that grip over me. You've allowed the world to maintain its influence on you and you've been living contrary to the law of God. You feel that tonight. I want you to take that as the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Commit to Him that you are going to serve Him. Repent and come to Him and say, I do want to serve you. I want to love your law more. And God will honor that. The Holy Spirit will work in you, pointing your heart back to his law. And so we see that loving God drives us to love his law. But our passage goes on to show two practical outworkings of that. The rest of the passage, we see that this love for the law leads us to teach and to keep his law. To teach and to keep the law. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. It says them, that's, that's these words that Moses has been bringing to them. That's the law of God. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. As far as, far back as I can remember, my dad has, has taught me 
how to work with my hands, how to, how to build things, how to fix things for myself. And these skills, I mean, I'm really, I'm really thankful for. As a result, I've, I've continued to lean towards this, this do-it-myself, this build-it-myself, fix-it-myself mentality. And, uh, and, and really, I've, it's probably saved me some money, but it's really given me this sense of accomplishment as I look at something that I've made or fixed and I can say, wow, I, like I, I did that. And that's, that's a really great feeling. But now he taught me these things because it was something that he learned from his dad. My grandfather was a farmer and a mechanic and really a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. And, and so this fix-it, build-it mentality was ingrained into my dad from when he was as young as he can remember. And so it was a no-brainer for him to just pass that on to me and, and teach me in that way. And now that, <clears throat> sorry, and now that I am a father, I have the opportunity to teach my kids. And I've been bringing them alongside me as I'm fixing and building and, and having the opportunity to teach that onto them. To the point now where we were out for a hike this week and they were skipping down the hiking path just saying over and over, lefty Lucy, tidy righty, lefty Lucy, tidy. And it really just made this father's dream come true, if I'm honest, to hear my four and five-year-old daughter singing this down the hiking trail. And really, it's, it's amazing when I get to, to bring Mackenzie, my oldest, along with me as I'm replacing a ceiling fan in my bedroom, and she can pass me the tools that I need whenever I need them. And, and you know, when I have to loosen a bolt and I can't reach both sides, and I can tell her, take that socket wrench and, and loosen that bolt, and she can do that. But this was passed on to me, and I have in turn passed it on to my children because it was this basic thing within my father and then now within me. And what Moses is calling attention to here in verse 7 is that our love for God drives us to love his law and we should just naturally teach that onto the next generation. That our love for God should drive us so intently on loving his law that teaching it to the next generation should just make sense. It should just happen. Why? Because love for God and his law is so ingrained in us that we want those coming up behind us to know and to have the same deep hope that we have. Listen to me, there's a, there's a lie in our culture. There's a lie in our culture that says that these, these, this faith that we hold deeply, that we shouldn't be telling kids about that. That we shouldn't be trying to teach that to young people because we might brainwash them into believing something that they might not want to believe when they're older. Listen to me. This is way too important for that. This is way too important to, to believe that lie. This is worth teaching our kids, teaching the next generation. Moses is giving this address to the people because he's no longer going to be with them and he wants to see generation after generation maintaining this faithfulness to God. Because he knows, he knows the truth that's found in verses 4 and 5 when he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your might. He knows that Yahweh is God and there's no other God and this is something of utmost importance and it needs to be passed on, especially to the next generation. 
Now, I'd say there's two levels when I speak of the next generation. There's your kids, right? So for parents, I'm talking to you right now. Our kids, our flesh and blood, or, or even our adoptive kids that God has brought into our care. But then there's also this second level of, of really anybody else who's, who's coming up behind us in the faith that we have a responsibility to teach and to bring along with us. And so what I want to do is give a couple ways that, that you and I can practically mentor or teach or bring along this at each level here. And so the first level being our children. And I mean, the text is pretty clear here. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious how to do it. It says, you, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Or in other words, you, sh- you should talk about them when you're at home and when you're not at home or in, in the first half of the day and the second half of the day. I don't think he really left any time out of there. The point is bringing gospel hope into everyday situations. That's the point. Let me give you an example, mostly because I love to just brag on how awesome my wife is. Uh, one night this past week at, at dinner, the topic of, of the latest hurricane came up. Um, I don't, don't ask me how that topic came up at dinner, but it, it did. And it led my, my kids to asking the question of, well, why do things like hurricanes happen? Why does destructive weather happen in this world? And without missing a beat, Ash launches into the story of redemption. How because of the fall, our world was broken, and now destructive things happen that weren't actually intended in the first place. But then it didn't end there. She then went on to explain to our girls how, how we can praise God that he sent his son Jesus to, to kickstart the redemption of our world and how if we trust in him, we then will one day get to dwell with him in a perfect world after it's been restored. And it was really this amazing time of just getting to teach our kids the story of redemption based on a conversation that happened at dinner. These things happen all the time with our kids. Almost every conversation can be led back to the gospel, and we have gospel hope to these things. And so we need to take those opportunities. And if you're looking for resources in how to, how to better teach your kids and, and how to better explain the Bible, then I encourage you to come and talk to us. We would love to help set you up with, with resources if that's something that you're having a hard time with. In fact, Lord willing... Next Sunday, we'll be releasing a card with, with at least two resources to get you started on that. Um, but we've also been working to try and gather resources to, together so that, so that we can help you as you bring your kids along. And, and so I encourage you to come and talk to us about that if you need some help. But the responsibility here is not only on parents. No, we, need, we are all responsible for bringing up the next generation, one theme that is so constant through Scripture is the kinship or the family of the people of God. And so that brings all of us as believers together, united in the Holy Spirit, um, as family together, which means that we're responsible for teaching our family as they're coming up behind us. And one of the best ways to do this, most effective ways, is by walking with each other and and bringing others along with us. Notice in the passage how Moses, he's not talking about dedicated teaching times, is he? These are important, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about just walking in life and bringing people along with you. 
And if, I think if we're, if we're honest, then most of us would say, I don't have time to carve out time to invest in somebody else. I mean, I have barely time to teach my own kids. Or I have barely time to keep up with what's on my timetable as it is. Unless you just bring them along with you. You keep doing all those things and you bring them along with you. And so I want to encourage you. If you've been a believer for a while, who are you bringing along with you? Who are you investing in? Or if, you are, if you're a young person here today, or even just young in the faith, I want to encourage you, reach out to somebody and say, hey, can I, can I just like hang out with you and, and, and learn from you? Look around at the people in this, this church. There are these, those here who have been saints for a very long time, and, and they are amazing men and women of the faith, and they would probably love to instill into you. But you might need to just go up and ask them. So I encourage you to do that. But the bottom line here is that it all flows out of our love for God. I'm not trying to guilt you into doing more here, but to exhort you that if you love God, that's driving you to love His law, why aren't you teaching it? Why aren't you teaching it? Let's keep moving. Verse 8 till the end here in verse 9. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Early on in my time at, at Heritage Bible College, I read a blog post um, that, really, that really stuck with me. It was a, a series of posts uh, based on how to stay Christian at seminary, which is a whole nother discussion in and of itself. Uh, but this particular post uh, stuck with me, and it was encouraging us to come up with a personal mission statement. And I have found, and, and I've, I thought this was pretty wise, and I was fairly early on in my study, so I said, I'll, I'll do that. And so through, some, through a lot of prayer and thoughtful consideration as to what's important in my life, I came up with the following mission statement. I am about the glory of God, loving my wife and children, serving the local and global church. In that order. I'm about the glory of God, loving my wife and children, and serving the local and global church. And that helped me through my, my Bible college days, but it also just helps me every day in life. And to this day, if you go to my day job or if you go to my office or my desk here at the church, you will see that those phrases written out and posted on my computer screen because it's there to remind me what's important and what my priorities are. And this practice is essentially what Moses is calling the people to here. He's telling them to take this knowledge and these guardrails that show us how to live rightly before a holy God and to place them in places where we'll be reminded constantly to remember the hope that we have. And here's the thing. Just like my mission statement when I, where I have that posted, if we, if we post Bible verses around and we even you know, get them tattooed on our arm, but we don't do anything differently because of it, is there really any point? No. No, there's, there's really not. What Moses is encouraging here is to, to set reminders for ourselves so that 
we can be reminded to actually keep the law. And so we are, we're reminded of the hope that we have found in God and His Word. See, that's the point. To intentionally set ourselves reminders so that we're actually keeping His Word. But again, it comes back to the why. We do this because we are driven by our love for God. We are driven to love the law so much that we want to do it more and more. Now, so you can see that this idea of keeping the law, the law of God, is not just an old covenant thing. Listen to Jesus' words in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and what? Keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself with him. He who keeps his word. So what Jesus is saying here is that love for him is equal to keeping God's law. And that it's, it's through keeping the law of God that we can get closer to Christ. So I want to encourage you to set these reminders. Do this. Set Scripture through your office or your workstation or your car. Parents who are at home, set Bible verses in places where you know you're just going to need to read them through the day. Set them as your desktop background on your, on your computer or your wallpaper on your cell phone. There's an app that will set verse of the day onto your home screen or your information screen of your phone and, and be reminded of the law of God so that you can be reminded to keep it. And love it even more. So I want, I want to close with the, with the question again. What drives you? What is your driving force? What's that control system that's working within you, that worldview that's dictating how you, you see things and, and interact with things? What set of beliefs dictates the decisions that you make? Our passage here tonight, um, it lays out what should be the driving force for the people of God. Namely, that our love for God drives us to love His law. And as a result of that, we'll want to teach it and we'll want to keep it. And we can do that all through our hearts being renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit. We invite the band you can come on back up. And we're going to close out with a song. A song that reminds us of how the Word of God is indeed eternal. A song that reminds us that these words, these ancient words that were written in this book, powerfully draws closer to the living Word. Powerfully draws closer to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that you worked through the power of your Son on the cross to, to renew our hearts through the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can open this book and read your beautiful ancient words. I pray that you would use them to influence our hearts, cause us to love you more and in turn love your law. 
To you be all honor and power and glory. All God's people said, amen.